Hello everyone and welcome back to IBM Tech TV. I'm your host Will Roberts and I'm so glad that you're joining us again. Last week we spoke with IBM's distinguished engineer John Thomas about the full pipeline that we need in order to build artificial intelligence products. He gave us an organizational view so that data science teams and data science leaders know what they need to ask for in order to guarantee success of their efforts. This week in episode two, I'm gonna take us on a deeper dive into the process of actually generating value from our data set. We'll start with a set from scratch and we'll take that data all the way through to deployment. I'm gonna work with IBM developer advocate Upcar Litter on exploring our data, understanding it more deeply, and then training models to ultimately make predictions from it. By the end of this show, you'll have seen the actual full process that we use to integrate data into solving our daily business problems. It'll give you a better understanding of what data science teams are capable of. Now, let's get started. With me is IBM developer advocate, Upkar Litter. Upkar, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited that you're here with us today because we're actually gonna take some time to hop into a data set, do some EDA, clean it up maybe a little bit, understand the features within it, and then do some modeling. The data set that we chose for this sort of example data set before we use it as an exemplar of the larger data science pipeline is a hotel data set. It's publicly available information on Kaggle, so our viewers can follow along with us, but where is the best place for us to start? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm very excited to, to be on your, uh, of course, on the show and, and talk about data, data wrangling. You know, the data set you, we talked about before is, again, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's to do with hotels. The data set is available on Kaggle. Let me share my screen to show you where you can get it from. Have it here, hotel booking demand data set. Yeah, so this data set, if you look, look at it, it's basically uh, has a lot of attributes about people booking rooms uh, or parties booking rooms and you know it goes from you know what year they came in what day was it a weeknight was it a weekday did they have kids with them how many how many children slash babies um, did they need parking did they ask for a meal and given all of this um, the idea is uh, using this data set is to create some sort of model to predict in the future if somebody with this attribute set uh, is how likely they are to make their reservation, right? To actually come and right. stay in the hotel versus what is the likelihood that they're not going to show up. So as you can probably imagine, this is very important from uh, you know booking perspective from the hotel's point of view and, and revenue forecasting, et cetera, et cetera. So. Right. So to contextualize the business problem in terms of what a hotel might want to gather from this data set, they might look at this and say, uh, we know that we have a large percentage of our customers that are canceling and we want to try and figure out which of those are prone to cancel. And then maybe we can introduce some sort of proactive outreach so that we can minimize the number of people who cancel, especially on short notice. Right. Or if you know a certain month of the year, there are more cancellations, then maybe you book accordingly where it's okay sure. to have some double bookings because, you know, people do cancel around that time. What we're talking about is a specific part of the broader pipeline, right? We're doing the actual modeling, presuming that this is an example, a toy sample of someone modeling off of data, which has already been provisioned and stored somewhere. And now we're making use of it as the data science team ourselves, right? Exactly. So I actually, when I do, uh, I've done a couple of introductory webinars on data science, and this is the picture that I show. And 
Uh, you know, it's it's got more or less all the pieces, but uh, you know, it all under, it all starts with this thing, the the problem understanding, uh, and that's we just talked about that, right? You just told us a couple of different uh, ways that the hotels could benefit from looking at a problem like this, um, and then of course the next step is data acquisition. For us, it's coming from Kaggle, but in real life, you're right. It might be coming from a legacy database. It might be coming from a NoSQL database. It might be non-structured data. You might have data in other formats, like maybe you have images you need to analyze or audio files. Today, we'll look at the next step in that uh, in this pipeline, which is the data exploration. So we'll look at that today. Uh, in fact, we'll also, you know, we'll go to the point of, um, or we'll go through preparing our data so that a machine learning model can consume it. Right, so machine learning models they understand numbers. Your data may not be all numbers, so there's right. some processing that needs to be done. And we look at we'll actually create a couple of different models um, uh, using an open source library called Scikit-Learn, which is supported on on IBM uh, Watson platform. Uh, and then we'll use something called Watson Machine Learning, which is IBM's Python package to uh, to store and deploy machine learning models. So we'll go up till there, but. Uh, so, yeah, so we're doing some uh, exploration in Jupyter Notebooks. Uh, it's going to look uh, very familiar to people who know Jupyter Notebooks, but it might just be a little different in that we're using Watson Studio primarily as the place to clean and understand our data. We're doing modeling. Um, we're training our models in that same notebook, but then taking that modeling and deploying it using Watson Machine Learning so that it's actually hosted and consumable, right? Those are sort of the steps of that pipeline that we are trying to execute here. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. That, that, cool. That's exactly what we'll do. You know, without wasting any time, we'll dive into the data bit. So, all right. So I'm opening Watson Studio. Yeah, well, and like you said before, right, through Jupyter Notebooks, we're just using the version on Watson Studio, but you could install Jupyter Notebooks locally and do it there as well. Of course, the idea behind the cloud is, you know, I don't have to use the resources on my laptop. I may not even have right. enough resources. And addi- additionally, you and I can work on the same project together, right? We don't That's we don't have to take a version of your notebook and send it to me and then let me try and compile the things that you just built. That's actually a very good point. Additionally, what I would do, I would like see what's in it. So head just prints the first five rows. But here's the here's my favorite function in pandas dot hotel dot value counts. And that just gives me uh, a frequency of how many unique things are in that column. Right. So very quickly, very quickly, I, I now know there's something called city hotels and resort hotels, and these are different numbers of rows. And, then and that, we can see ahead. if we were trying to analyze those classes to compare them against each other, that maybe it's not a perfectly balanced data set, but because we're not trying to do something like predicting whether it's a city hotel or a resort, resort hotel here, I don't right. think that we have to downsample or you know uh, make any... Uh, synthetic samples to add to it, right? That's that's not not a requirement here, I don't think. Right, exactly. Um, what we are predicting is if the hotel will be canceled or not, and which is this, right. this cancel field. Um, if you look at countries, there is 177 different countries that people came from to these hotels. That's interesting, and um, you know the value counts again. It gives us a a frequency or sort of a histogram of the different countries, and you can see. Uh, Portugal, PRT is the most people, Great Britain, France. Okay, so I, I don't know. Maybe we look at uh, uh, the cancellation percentage from these countries, maybe, right? Yeah, um, I mean, it might make sense that the vast, more, vast majority of those are from Port- Portugal because the hotels are in Portugal. Um, right. And if you're traveling from out of state, you might be more likely to cancel. Right, exactly. Um, 
All right, so then what I've done, I tried to do is uh, a little bit of uh, plotting. So in this case, I'm just using the simple matplotlib and value counts gives me this. And then I'm just looking at the first 10 countries. All right, uh, so the next thing I do is, okay, so like we said, let's look at the percentage. So again, reservation status was the one that says, said canceled or no show. So in this case, I'm just saying, hey, for, for all the peop, uh, people coming from Portugal, what's, what is the reservation status? Do another value counts and plot that in a bar chart. You know, this gives us maybe a little bit more information, but by itself, mm. it might not be enough. So if, if I were to compare different countries and see what proportion of people coming from that country cancel, that might be one clue. Uh, and not just looking as, at a single country by itself. Uh, another piece of data we could bring in, uh, perhaps for next time, is the weather data, right? So it'll be very sure. interesting to see where people are coming from or going to so destination or you know what the weather looks like, or what weather pattern looks like. I think that would be very valuable for a hotel chain to consider, uh, right? So yeah. that's obviously also showing in the cyclical pattern throughout the year. There's different ways of coming to the same sort of conclusion uh, in this case, I'm using the group by to actually see the cancel versus checkout versus no show for each country. And I'm, right. uh, I'm just uh, looking at the top 10 countries. So now this is maybe a little bit better for comparing countries than just looking at an individual country. Right. Just to dive into what you're seeing here, you're showing that uh, you see a fairly a fairly normal distribution across the checkout and cancel for all the other countries. And then the exception is obviously Portugal, where your vastly outnumbered subpopulation is canceled versus checkout, right? So that that right. seems like it has to be a fairly strong identifier who is or is not coming to actually stay in the reservation they've booked. Right. All right. So here I'm doing another group Y to see out of the people who canceled, how many were with children, without children? Um, or So it's canceled or is zero or one. So zero is people showed up. And, mm. and then one is people didn't show up. And how many of, what's the proportion that have children and didn't have children? And I thought it was pretty uh, pretty balanced there. It's not like if you have kids, you'll most likely not show up or, or the other way around. Sure, yeah. Because I, I thought maybe, maybe kids result in a lot of cancellation, but <laughs> maybe that's not true. Oh, yeah, this is showing the same thing. So again, when you're creating, like Will was saying, uh, at the end of the day, when I can hide a lot of code in this. And when I save this uh, you know, in Watson Studio, I almost get a nice report out of this. Um, and you can definitely take this to a line of business user or somebody who doesn't, um, you know, who's not uh, familiar with coding to see the results and what you have found out. It seems like at this point, we have a pretty fair understanding of uh, at least some potentially key features within our data set. We know, um, we know enough to at least have generated a potential hypothesis for ourselves. We can start to theorize now using that hypothesis about what we'll see in predictions going forward uh, right. for um, customers who've shown up. Exactly. I mean, if, if we had a little bit more time, we would also look at distributions or we kind of skipped a bunch of uh, yeah. different columns that we could have looked, we could have looked at. But yeah, that gives you a general idea. You really want to understand the data set. And then so with that, here are my numerical columns. Great. And then I had my categorical column, columns are up here. And now I'm creating a new data frame. Pardon my, my naming. I guess software developers and data scientists are not good at the naming things. Um, <laughs> But all I'm doing here is concatenating all of my numerical columns as they are, I'm not touching them. For my categorical columns, I'm calling this get dummies, which a method that if you remember, so here's my categorical column. I uh, remember hotel was resort or city, right? Those are two, two, two values. If I now look 
print out all of my categorical columns, you'll see here, uh, hotel city hotel became a column and hotel resort hotel became a column. Right. And so now this looks a little bit better. Uh, the downside is we went from 31 columns to, right. to uh, how many columns do we have? All right, we went to 257 columns, right? So we have increased, now it's becoming a, become a big matrix versus a smaller matrix. Um, yeah, perfect. Um, and then we're using something called mix min-max scalar. And this is to normalize, right? So an example is if you're trying to find out the price of a house and your input features are your number of bathrooms in the house, uh, and also an input feature is the square footage of the house, of the land. And so your number of bathrooms may go from one to three or something, maybe four. But your square footage probably goes from 600 to 2,100 or 5,000 square feet. And so there's a there's a big difference between the scale of the two attributes. Uh, and so to ensure that the model doesn't favor one attribute, especially if the model is taking the distance between some two things to evaluate the cost function, then it might favor or give more weightage to the bigger numbers than the smaller numbers. Um, yeah. So so one way to avoid that is to normalize everything into the same scale. So now we have filled out all the empty values, and we're using this min-max scalar. We're saying, give me a new min-max scalar, put everything between 0 and 1, right? And then this fit method will actually do that transformation to all of my columns in my data frame. So if I run this and then just display the head, you'll see everything here is between 0 and 1. That's That's what we have done. But the proportions obviously are still the same, right? So... Uh, it's still telling us the same information, but on a different scale. Uh, but in any case, um, do we need all the 270 different columns, right? And, and the idea there is we are essentially trying to figure out which feature or combinations of feature is explaining my target variable the best or explaining the variability in my target variable the best. Um, and so here, this is, again, a very primitive approach um, is basically to look at the correlation between each one of our features with each other, and if they are highly correlated, then you know they're pro they're pro they're probably explaining the target variable in a similar fashion. And I don't need both of them at the same time to create this model. Okay, so here I'm making my you know my x and y's. So well, y is basically my target variable, uh, which is this cancel x is the rest of it, and then I delete the is canceled from x. And then in here. I then I wrote up this very simple function that's doing uh, calculating correlations between my between my features, and then I'm only keeping the ones that are least correlated, and I'm keeping the top thirty. So now, if we say so, this is again very like it's a very rudimentary way of picking the first, picking the top ten features that I want to look at for this modeling. All right, so now that I have all the features that I intend to keep, now this is the typical you know split it up into training and testing using the scikit-learn's uh, train test split method. And uh, I'm seeding it with a with some value just so I can reproduce my results. Um, and right. So just... before okay. we do the train test split, just to recap, we did some feature engineering. We did some exploratory data data analysis and understood which were the features that uh, were missing information, which had maybe the most significant information. Then we did some feature subselection. We identified which were the features that we wanted to uh, actually train use to train our model. And then now we are coming into this step of splitting our data set into a train test split so that we can actually draw some valid predictions from our ultimate model, right? This is a step required to make sure that we have validity within our model. Perfect. Yes. So 
Um, and then we go and we look at a couple of different, uh, I've just got one, two, three, four, five here, a couple of, or actually just four here, uh, looking at a couple of different models uh, to see which one works best with our data set. And that's the important thing to realize, right? So uh, on a given, on a different data set, one of the other models actually might perform better. This is just based on our training and testing data sets. Um, and then as before, I'm just printing out um, the metrics for classification, right? You're, you're comparing your predictive val predicted value to the actual values. Um, and in some cases, you might want to use precision. In other cases, you might want to use recall. And it's it all depends on uh, the cost, what's involved. Um, right. Yeah. Right. There are some use cases where predicting a positive case where it's actually not there is uh, where it's actually a false positive that's very costly. And maybe a booking scenario where our proactive step is to offer a discount to someone that we think might cancel, that's less costly. <laughs> it might not trigger, say, a healthcare outcome. So right. maybe it's not as important for us to uh, minimize our false positive rate, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then I went ahead and I said, okay, so, you know, uh, I'm looking at these different models. For me, the other thing that comes into mind is sort of explainability. And if I'm able to uh, draw out why the model did what it did, and for me, it's sort of decision trees kind of fit that pattern very well. Um, sure. And so that was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I mean, it's very, the decision tree and the ensemble random forest are pretty similar to each other. So I just decided to, you know, okay, I'm happy with the score. For now, in a real world, I would try and you know go back to my data set, do do some more feature engineering and feature uh, creation to see if I can uh, get these scores a little bit more close closer to one. Uh, I yeah. mean, right. And the other thing is without overfitting my training set. So that's the other thing, right? Which is what I was sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have this model now, and then I simply go and well, I've, I've named it CLF eight, and down here, let's see. Well, I'm doing some more. I'm just I'm just outputting the uh, the 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 metrics one more time here, um, and okay. then I basically go in here. And now I'm I have my model, but it's sitting in my Jupyter notebook, and nobody can use it. So now I'll I'll take right. this and deploy it. Uh, I've seen people do things like a Flask application to wrap around this model and provide a REST API deploy it. That's fine. Um, but then the problem generally becomes uh, uh, scalability and security. You have to provide all yeah. of that, right, with a custom app. Um, yeah, it's really a single point, and you're exposing some port on your local computer for them to access right. it. If you've just built a Flask app on your local computer, and that's maybe not very scalable as you try and provision some predictive service for a, an actual business. Yes, exactly. So one option here is uh, using this thing called Watson Machine Learning Client, which is a pip package and uh, use this to store your model on IBM Cloud in a Cloud Object Storage service, and then also have a deployed version that people can use. Um, okay, so we have our model, we've trained it, we have results. We have, uh, we have come to the agreement that it's really important for us to actually make use of this if we want to uh, make some sort of difference for the cancellation rate. So we can't just have this local model sitting on a computer we're not going to build a Flask app to service just our computer's predictions. Mm -hmm. uh, our alternative solution is to go to Watson Machine Learning and say, hey, uh, WML, can you host this model for me so that someone can make predictions against it, right? That's basically what we've come up with. Exactly. And so the scalability plus security, right? So 
Uh, I don't want right. this to be open for anybody to use. I want to only uh, people who are authorized to use it to be able to use mm-hmm. it. So that's the other thing. Yeah, this is the method I use, store model. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, so I'm storing this model that we decided on using, and I'm calling it hotel cancel model. Um, you can pass in not only a scikit-learn model, but it supports uh, other frameworks as well. So you can pass in a Keras model or a PyTorch model or a Spark MLlib model, uh, and it understands um, how to essentially how to use it, um, right? So right. that's what it's doing behind the scenes, and it's creating that conceptual flask app for me with the endpoints yeah. that we generated. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to having the flask app which receives some JSON request and then you parse out each of those fields into the features and then yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so what I'm trying to do here is I want to create a function where I pass in my data frame and it comes back with a prediction. Right. So it's easy for right. me to to insert a data frame directly than passing it JSON. Right. Uh, so that's all I'm doing here. And I can I can change this Okay, so sorry, we uh, created the body in our JSON format here that we're going to pass to our endpoint, and it's going to show us um, ultimately a prediction back from the service that we deployed on Watson Machine Learning, right? That's what we're trying to execute here? Exactly. So I'm returning back the actual value that came back of the class and also the probability that's coming back uh, from my endpoint. Uh, The probability that our client is going to cancel. Yes. In this case, okay. one means they are going to cancel. Zero. It's going to come back with both. Okay. Right? So it's going to come back with if they are going to cancel or they're not going to cancel. And each of those will have a probability. Right. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then I'm just passing it the first 15. Uh, and again, the, the reasoning we said was um, the X-Train data set is already normalized. It's already got the one hot encoding. That's the format our... Like, our model does not understand the original data frame anymore, right? It understands this. And so sure. even if we were to take a brand new data set, we'll have to make sure we convert it to this. Um, gotcha. This so that format. would be a part of sort of the pipeline for us feeding predictions to this model that we deployed is exactly. the probably uh, uh, data ops team is responsible for taking our payloads and converting those to our model's format, right? Right, exactly. I don't, you know, like there are multiple ways to use this, right? So yeah. what, what we are doing is sort of the the REST endpoint version where you, we pass one thing at a time, it comes back with, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're doing with the supply function here. I, I Generally, these models have some sort of a uh, an application or UI built in front of it. And that application's code will somehow uh, make sure whatever's coming in is in this format that, uh, our model can understand. Or like you said, it's the DevOps team or whoever. All right, so then we run this function on our uh, data frame. And basically what comes back is our original data frame. And also down at the end, now we have two additional columns. One is called our target. So zero is the customer is going to show up. And one is the customer is going to cancel. And then it comes back with the probabilities of the the different classes. We're passing customer information that they have a time of time of reservation and coming back and saying, you may or may not need to reach back out to this person to confirm that they're going to cancel. Exactly. And that's a business decision as to what probability you want to make that cutoff. Right. right. So, and I think that that's one of the really valuable things that hopefully people take away from viewing this is that we're not modeling just for the sake of predicting any attribute. There's a benefit to the business. And so therefore the business would buy into the idea of funding and or supporting 
the project needed to deploy a model to help their end goal, right? Which is to minimize cancellations. And then more importantly, moving forward, there's, you know, you need a way to then keep keep an eye on this model, so to speak. So monitor this model somehow uh, on an ongoing basis to then see, okay, is, the, is my uh, the, the metric we looked at before to evaluate the model, are those metrics going down over time? If they are, then you need to revisit the model to see what's changed. Maybe it's Maybe some data is coming in that it hasn't seen before. It wasn't trained on, and therefore it doesn't know what to do. Um, so those are, you know, it's it's uh, it's an ongoing project, so to speak. It's not like this model has been deployed now and you're done with it. Right. So yeah, two key differences there in terms of this full pipeline that we've just walked through that differ from a proper uh, business workflow is that you're probably not just going to get a single CSV. You're probably going to have to create a data source from a bunch of different SQL sources if we're looking right. at this relational form. And then after we've trained our model and deployed it somewhere, we need to figure out what is its retirement plan. Do we know when to indicate that the data that's going into it has drifted? Do we know that it's time to retire it because it's been inaccurate to a certain degree? Like what are the metrics that are important for us? to figure out its yeah. utility and, and sort of lifeline, right? Perfect. And this is also one of those cases where we haven't looked at anything like bias in this, uh, yeah. this data set itself, or that's a whole different discussion, but an important one to have, especially if you're looking at maybe, I don't think this one had like age or gender of people coming yeah, in. Yeah, no demographic like information. Demo- right. Yeah, as soon as you start looking at some of those sensitive data sets or features, then yeah, that's very important to look at as well. Uh, Upkar, thank you so much for showing us what it takes to load a data set, clean a data set, explore it, and then derive some business value. I think that that was a very informative process for our audience uh, and important for people who are responsible for building out predictive pipelines to know what they have to be able to execute in order to deliver some business value. So thank you so much for doing that for us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a really good discussion. I I just want to reiterate this: the, what we showed today is uh, it's a subset of what is involved, but an important part of it, obviously. So uh, I wouldn't take this as, you know, uh, the end of the best process ever, but hopefully it gives everybody an idea of uh, what goes on behind the scenes. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Upkar. Thank you. This week, we spoke with Upkar Litter, an IBM developer advocate who walked us through a full data science training exercise. It took a long time, and for the sake of brevity, we cut it down to 25 minutes. If you want to catch that longer conversation, go to IBM's YouTube channel and check that full 120-minute conversation out right now. If you have more specific questions that you feel like you need answered in a hands-on manner, click over and book time with an IBM expert for a one-on-one conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us for episode two on IBM Tech TV. I hope that you'll join me next week as I interview IBM's Abhijit Chatterjee.